welcome. We are talking pet chat. My last one for the year, and Aww. a big welcome to Cheryl Shaw and Dr. Paul McCarthy. How are you both? Very well, thank you, Sarah. Very well, thanks, Sarah. So lovely to have you both in. Can you believe that the year's nearly wrapped up? You've only got one more pet chat I know. next week, yes, and it's all over Ugh, until next year. Yep. Yeah, we will be back. I think it's the thirtieth of January, something like that. So don't don't fear. <laughs> uh, now, look, leading up to Christmas, lots of questions, particularly about our animals, because we change a lot of things around Christmas. There's decorations. Yep. There's a lot more food there's a lot more people so Cheryl what are we looking at today I've looked at the brooch for a clue and is that a bit of holly that you're wearing it is beautiful a little bit of holly and there's a lily there so this is going to be a message about our festive flowers and decorations ah because of course we've got a lot happening Mm. around the home the house and and Paul you'll be talking about some cases you've seen already of pets coming in yes there's the the season is often challenging for our pets, so there's a few things we need to be careful about as we head towards that time. Cheryl, Paul and I have been talking about our Christmas plans, as you do, what we're doing, who's cooking what, who's hosting. But that is what's happening at this time of year. And in just a couple of minutes, we're talking about decorating and particularly uh, with plants and flowers. And I guess some of the do's and don'ts with the pets, because I know, Paul, you said you've been so busy already with um, exactly you know animals coming in due to eating fruitcakes fruit cake, and all sorts yeah. of things. So, uh, but Cheryl, we're looking at um, decorating the home and you've brought in such a beautiful arrangement of, of fresh flowers. We've got holly in there. Yes, and some poinsettias and some oh. native Christmas bells. But we need to be very careful, Sarah, with these plants in our homes. They can be quite dangerous. Absolutely. Even the holly? Even the holly. Oh, do tell. Yeah, okay. So with the holly, you know how there's that saying, decorate the halls with holly and mistletoe hang it above the doors? There's a reason yes. for that. That's because they want you to keep it away from your pets. Oh, I thought it was so seedy old Uncle Bob can get <laughs> a bit of a kiss. No, look, we've got to be really mindful that um, holly and also the mistletoe often have little berries on them. Now, these berries are really toxic, particularly um, they contain a product or an, an ingredient called theobrimin. And, Paul, that does things to dogs, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's what's in chocolate. Mm. We oh. love our chocolate, but it's yep. dangerous. So these can cause different things to happen to dogs, and tremors, seizures and all sorts of things like that. So when you are, you know, making a floral arrangement, if you're putting it on the table, just be really mindful that if you're, you know, if your cat or your dog's getting up there, that they're not ingesting this. Now, this is extremely important for lilies. Now, I know I've talked about lilies around Easter time because they're very popular then, but we're finding there's a really big increase in deaths in cats because of lilies because these days it's so cheap to buy a bunch of lilies at the it supermarket. Is, yeah, and they're, and they're effective. You get, you know, more out of them if you Correct, get them before they're... Correct, because they're a better yeah. price. Yeah. And yeah, so, exactly. you know, these lilies, they sit on our vases and we decorate our homes to look beautiful for our visitors. But the cat in particular, when it jumps up onto the table or the bench and it's chewing away at a leaf, maybe a stem, even not actually eating or ingesting any of the plant, but just brushing against the stamen where the pollen sits. If a cat gets that on, on its pads from the, the bench or the table, or brushes against it and licks where that pollen is, it can be really, really lethal to the cat. Yeah, right. So we need to be mindful, you know, that lilies aren't necessarily a good um, gift for a a cat owner. So if you're thinking about taking some flowers, maybe some roses might be a better option. Yeah. And you you can sort of make them less toxic by trying to remove the stamens out of the lilies before you bring them in. Because it is, as you mentioned, the the, the pollen on those where the toxicity lies. But better still, always if you're giving a, a, a flower arrangement to a cat owner, 
just take the lilies out. Yeah. yeah. Even the water from the lilies is dangerous if the cat drinks So it really itself. is very toxic. It's so toxic. Yeah, it damages their kidneys, so they get um, uh, an acute renal failure associated with lily intoxication. Yeah. And um, sadly, often that is not reversible. Okay. Yeah. Not the statistics are really up there on, on cat deaths over the last five years. It, you know, from one of the insurance companies, they were saying just how many cats are dying from Lilium. So we need to be very mindful of that. Now, I did notice when I came in that at the reception, there's a lovely pot of poinsettia flower. Mm. Now, whilst they're not poisonous, they can make um, dogs and cats very sick as well. That sap in the poinsettia is really lethal. So, uh, well, not lethal, it's really toxic, so it can make them sick. Now, Sarah, you have some in this bunch, so please make sure that you're not Keep giving it, away it to anybody that's Gizzy. got a cat or a cat. Yeah, sure. And the other plant that's often given as a gift as well, um, cyclamen, well, they're really pretty flowers. The tuber of those, or the, the, the bulb part of that plant is actually toxic. So again, another plant that you need to be mindful where you're placing it and who you're giving it to. Is that to dogs as well as cats? Yes, yeah. mainly dogs. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. yes, yes. The, um, the other um, popular thing at this time of the year is often people use potpourri to make their home smell nice and there's quite, you know, Christmas festive smells and yeah. things. Those can be dangerous too because a lot of them contain different preservatives, some contain pesticides and volatile oils and you just don't want your pet sort of, you know, chewing and getting into things like that. And we do know that our puppies are now our kittens are you know inquisitive they want to go and see these new things we're bringing yes. into our homes and it's most important that you know what we are bringing in we make sure is safe um, or if we're giving it to our friends and colleagues that you know they certainly are safe things for for pet owners um, the other thing is our christmas trees Christmas trees can also be an irritant to our dogs and cats if they're chewing on those pine needles. The other thing with some Christmas trees, if the animal is, um, you know, sort of going in to, to fetch out a bauble or something, those pine needles can stick into their eyes. So be very, very cautious with your dog. So, Paul, have you got anything about pine needles and things like that? It is... It is. Yeah, so we, we often see um, corneal ulcers associated with, with sort of... Um, it's often actually people are giving food as a present under the tree. They wrap the present, the food's in the present, and the dog's sniffing oh, the around dog's for those. Sniffed it out. Yes. So we always suggest Bingo. if you're going to give food to a, a, as a as a present, keep it un, away from the, the, the under the tree first yeah. up, um, because the dogs will look into those. Um, the most common issue we see around Christmas trees are uh, sadly ingestion of baubles. So mm. I have removed foreign material from dogs on Boxing Day where they have actually swallowed things. Um, and so a lot of those objects can be quite dangerous if they um, are ingested. Um, cats always go for ribbons and different bits of tinsel yes. um, and they can act as a string foreign body where they loop all the bowel up. Um, so that can be an issue as well. So the tree, though, beautiful can come with its own hazards. And, of course, the most common we get is cats who get caught up in the tree so they climb into the tree, they get caught in the lights, they get tangled up, tree comes down, cat gets injured, so just be careful. Well, just on that, uh, Paul, it does feel timely to go to Phil now. Phil, we're talking about trees and Christmas decorations and you have a ragdoll cat that's chewing some decorations. Yeah, um, we've had our decorations up since the 1st of December in the windows and um, we do part of our house up, but we've found out over the last couple of days our ragdoll cats decide to chew the leads on the fairy lights. Yeah. 
power supply. Yeah, not a, not an uncommon what? scenario, Phil, and one that can be very dangerous. So um, yeah. well, mo- most houses like- will have a cutout switch, so but if the if the line does get damaged, the power will stop. But certainly, um, really important to not have access to those areas. Things you can sometimes do for those is if you wrap the base of that power line with alfoil. Often the reflective surface of the overfall will actually make the cat less wanting to try and chew the area. Um, yeah. And another trick that I, I, I've also had from some breeders is that um, they also don't like the, the smell of citrus. So if you use a citrus-based um, cleaning agent and wipe the leads and things, that'll often work um, to try and stop them from actually trying to chew those, those electric power lines. Yeah. Well, it's just fortunate we got them on timers and that, and she's chewed them during the day, got in when they've been turned off, yeah. yeah the thing about yeah. them is that once they'll often start on one of those, the, the sort of the enjoyment of it chewing can then transfer to other areas as well. So just check all your power lines because cats do like to have anything that's sort of string or ribbon-like and because often Christmas lights have a really bendy, almost sort of um, stringy um, line attached to them, they're really yep. tempting to cats. Yep. Okay, then I'll try the citrus... Um yeah, yeah. So, so cats often don't like this kind of citrus, and they don't like bizarre reflective surfaces. So, because alpha will often just reflect yep. light in a different way, it often just distracts the cat away from the sight. Yep. Okay. Then we'll try those couple of things and see whether you can. Stay Have away. a safe Christmas. Phil, Thanks. thank you so much for your call. We have a free line if you've got a question today, 49216216. Cheryl, can you share that little story you were telling us uh, a little earlier about your dog and the gingerbread house? Oh, yes. My Aprilia, she was just a beautiful girl, never did anything wrong except for one Christmas. I get all of these gingerbread trees delivered and Aprilia helped herself. She actually took it down off the dining table, put it on the floor, ate six tears before I realised what she was into. But like I was saying to Paul, fortunately, it wasn't like the fruit cakes. <laughs> no. Oh, that's... Gingerbread safe. She had a great Christmas. <laughs> and yeah. I missed out. Yeah, absolutely. We've got Gus on the line from Western. Gus, you've got a question for Dr Paul about a bird today. Yes, how are you? Well, thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, you do, mate. Listen, I've got a, a parrot, a conya. You know what they yes, are? Yes, I do. Yep. Right. Now, it's about 10 years old, and it's starting to lay eggs. No male. Yep. But it's, it's about every two to three weeks apart. Yeah. What's a go? So um, what you can certainly try and do with these guys is if you leave the eggs there for a time period, they'll lay enough to form a clutch. The clutch, yeah. of course, won't be fertile, so the eggs will, won't, will, won't hatch. Yeah. Um, but it'll stop them from often continuing to lay the eggs. If you keep removing right. the eggs, she will probably keep producing more. So best just to leave them in there. Yeah, leave a few there so she can form a clutch, and then the, they may even, she may even try and incubate that. Um, yeah. And then after a couple of you know a week or so, you can remove those um, because of course they they won't be fertile and, no, and they, right. they will go off. Well, well, we've had it for about ten years. Yeah. And this is the first time it's happened. Yeah, so sometimes birds who have suddenly been fed a higher fat diet than other than regularly can bring um, animals into season. So um, what do you, do you... I mean, certainly if you're feeding lots of sunflower seeds at this time of year, um, oils and fats will bring sexual interest and maturity on in birds. What, what do you uh, feed currently? Oh, that krill. Yeah, so just make sure that you're not having too much fat in that, in that sometimes the parrots, the trill can be, just checking which, what one you've got, some of the trill can be quite high in oils, and that can bring birds into a more sexually active state. No, right, eh? Yeah. 
Okay, Gus, does that right. sort of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that's Beautiful. good. Beautiful. We've got Dan on the line from Talara. Now, Dan, you have a male Italian Mastiff and it suffers from separation anxiety. Yeah, that's correct. How old is your dog, Dan? Um, he's five-year-old. And, this, and is, this has been a, a problem for some time or a recent event? Yeah, yeah. No, he's pretty much always been like it. Okay. Um, but lately we've been obviously having a few people around. Um, I've had birthdays and then with Christmas and everything, but as soon as we have people around, we try and lock him into a different yard and, yeah, he'll just sit there and bite at the gate and lick at the wall till he yeah. can actually get his way in to be with the crowd or be by me. And is the reason you don't wish him to be with the crowd because his behaviour makes it difficult or it just... Oh, because because he's so big. Yep. He's like an 80 kilo dog. Yep, and, yep. yeah, just the drool that comes out of him that sort of, if people are wearing yes. clothes. So what you might be best to try and do is train him to be in the room with everybody but in a certain zone. So the, the problem with putting him away into a different spot each time is that you'll actually aggravate the anxiety and it'll mean that when he then is around people again, he'll be even more hyper-excitable than he was before. So your way to try and deal with this one would be is that um, often mat training for these dogs is a great idea. So have a mat or a bed that he knows is his and when he's in his bed you flick him a treat and you pay him for being in there. And so then when you have guests come, he can know that that's the space that he's supposed to be in so that he's not drooling on people and not getting an issue, but he knows where he's supposed to be and the more you reward him for being in there, the safer he'll feel. So we're sort of combating both the problems. One is we're making him feel safe in your environment, but the second is that we're keeping him in a location that means your guests aren't feeling uncomfortable. The, the problem you will have by keeping him isolated during those events is that the, the, the actual anxiety event will increase um, and they can actually start to help, you know, hurt themselves by trying to get out because they're so anxious about being locked away. So I would look yeah, at sort exactly. of redirecting his behaviour rather than trying to block it. Yeah, OK. Because it's even like if I'm sitting out on the veranda having my coffee, yeah. he'll be under the house sitting under the veranda, sitting there whinging just yeah. so that he can try and be up there with me. Yeah, and so I think I'd be, I'd be looking to try and make him feel safe because these, these signs that you're, you're just describing are letting us know that he's not feeling safe without you being present. So it's about giving him some safe zone that will make him feel safe. So a, a mat or a, a crate or an area where he feels it is his and his that he's safe there will try and mean that he'll need you less and gain some independence by being in that safe zone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, it will be a time-consuming challenge. Um, dogs of this age yeah. and breed who have reached this sort of level of anxiety aren't going to learn that safety overnight. So it will be a situation you'll need to probably persist for some time and you may even talk to your local veterinarian about using some um, antidepressants, medication, to try and help him feel calmer during that learning process to accelerate the process. Yeah, OK. Very good. Okay. Thanks so much for your call, Dan. Have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, we do have a free line if you'd like to give us a call, 49216216 for Pet Chat. Make the most of it. Only uh, this week and next week left for this year. Of course, we'll be back next year. We've got Mitch from Madawi. Now, you've got a question about your cockatiel for Dr Paul McCarthy. Yes, I do. Um, hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Season's greetings. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've had birds for many, many years, primarily Australian creatures. I've got a large ivory with red face stars and, um, and hex long sails in. Oh, pretty. We also, yeah, we also have a, um, a pair of Mustano crocodiles, which we've had uh, for many, many years. Uh, we bought them from a breeder as very young birds. 
<clears throat> they both had the brown cheek patches, and we bought them as allegedly two boys because we didn't want um, baby cockatiels. Sure. Now, one of this one of this pair of cockatiels lays eggs. Yeah. Um, we've never I've never seen them uh, try to mate. Um, they have built a little bit of an, uh, a nest, and they've sat on them once over a number of years, but. Um, the question is, does the brown cheek patch always signify a male cockatiel? No. Disappointingly, um, cockatiels can be very difficult to sex. Um, certainly the very classic is the cheek pouches are, are the giveaway. But with the different mutations that have occurred in that species, the coloration now can be quite difficult to determine the sex based on that purely. Um, you may even have two girls, which is why the eggs aren't hatching. Um, That's what I think, yeah. yeah. And, and so certainly, disappointingly, we used to always say, yes, the cheek patch was the way to go. But due to the mutation color-wise, um, cockatiels are now a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so often it, it is difficult when you do get them very young to determine. And even then, having the coloration that, that they have as an adult isn't the giveaway. Uh, right. I've got some... I've had hex longtails, so the, the red-beaked longtails for many, many years, and I've yep. had normal-coloured birds. Yeah. And they've always, they've always thrown normal-coloured babies. Yes. And, in the last, and I've introduced no other, no other birds to them, but the last couple of clutches from one bird in particular, she's throwing fawn mutations. Right. Which are looking birds, but... Um, I don't know what to do with the fawns, whether it's to take them out or whether that's that's something from way, way back in the genetics that she's trying fawn birds. Yeah, and look, and certainly recessive genes can be can lay dormant for quite some time. So um, yeah. it, it, it so is, if you don't wish to have that breed, can, that, that coloration continue, you just wouldn't select those two breeding birds again. Um, yeah, no it, worries. You would just try and swap them with another partner to try and see if you can get that coloration out. But yeah, so mutations in those sorts of um, colours can be, as I said, they're recessive often and therefore can only occur on a very rare, rare basis. No worries at all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mitch. We appreciate the call and uh, a free line for you right now, 49216216, if you've got a question. Uh, just a quick one. We do have a Corgi Cross Maltese, uh, obviously a, a small dog wearing a dog rescue Newcastle collar, uh, has gone missing. So it is lost uh, around Merriweather Street in Merriweather. If you've seen this dog, please give us a call at the station so we can get in touch with Dog Rescue Newcastle, uh, 49215. Double five is the number. I believe we've got Maureen from Bonnells Bay on the line. You've got a new kitten and a 15-year-old cat and you're trying to get them to be friends. Is that correct? Well, that's that's correct, Sarah. I haven't got the new kitten yet. I'm get, picking her up, him up on the weekend. But my 15-year-old cat has had a lifetime in living with other animals and sadly they've all passed away and she's now terribly lonely. Mm. So we've decided that, yes, I think we think she should have a companion Sure. Animal. So we're getting a little male kitten. Yep. Now she's a 15 year old. She's as soft as kitten. She's a Berman and she just loves everybody, everything. And I just want to know what to do to get it right. Okay, so the first thing is, is that the, the kitten arriving in your home is going to be much more nervous, obviously, than your cat who's already there. Exactly. So, so give the kitten a room of its own. Um, I, can't have, have, do, have, I can't do that, but I can uh, put him in a big dog crate. Uh, not quite so helpful. In that not that, quite so helpful? No, because what will happen with that is, is that the cat can't get out, um, mm. but it can be seen by the other cat. So okay. um, it, it may even be that the... Does your bedroom have a door? My bedroom does have a door. Yeah, so what you really want to do initially is bond the kitten to the house and, mm. and the easiest way to do that is to give the kitten a room of its own first. A room of its own first? Yeah. 
So that we would ideally, for ideally, him, wouldn't it? yeah. So yeah. And, and and certainly the problem you, you, we we don't want the young kitten to show fear on arrival, in that that will mean that the other cat may be then looking for what's scary, and you might start getting issues of fear aggression between the two. So what you really want to do is have a new kitten bond and be settled in first, and then you allow the the door to be open. Um, so that the kitten can wander backwards and forwards that it knows it's a safe spot to go to but the adult cat can't go into that area so that the kitten knows that if it needs to get away it can do it can go into that bedroom. correct okay. yeah and doesn't doesn't loneliness impact on the kitten then no because initially what the cat wants to do is it's it's already a bit frightened about where it's going to um, mm-hmm. Kittens need to bond to some uh, turf first. So we'd like to think that cats bond to us, but, but to be honest, they share their lives with us. They really bond to the house. I, so, I know that well and truly. Yeah, so generally it's about making the kitten feel that this space is theirs, it's safe, and that nothing mm-hmm. will bad will happen to them then. And then you introduce the other flatmates to your kitten after they've had that bonding period. You and can how also, long do you recommend that to be? So I would at least have three days of isolation before mm-hmm. you open the door. Um, spending time in there with the kitten yourself, of course, but just trying to make sure that the kitten doesn't meet your other cat in a, in a sort of exposed area in that first three days. The other thing you can do is use Feliway, which is a, a, a pheromone to make your house I've smell used, safe. I, I use that in the, um, I've used that in the past. Yeah, brilliant. So it's a really nice thing to have for a new kitten arriving. It'll make the house generally feel safe. And the other benefit of Feliway for your older cat too is it'll also make that cat feel calm about the new arrival as well in that... Cats um, who have always been with other cats are often very happy about having a new kitten member. But there can also be that not every individual likes every individual. And so some cats um, may take a, a shine to a new kitten or may see that that kitten's showing behaviour that they don't like and may therefore show a, a distaste. So having fairly way for both kittens, uh, both the kitten and the cat, would be really helpful. But make sure this bond's done very slowly in that the last thing you want to do is rush this. Um, if it takes you two or three weeks to have them meet, for the first time, that's right. Um, you don't want to have them have this, this scene where they're just dumped together too quickly because there can be issues where that situation will never improve. i got to tell you that because when I brought this 15-year-old cat um, into my house, my two male cats loved her immediately. My female cat hated her until the day she died. Yeah, and so you need to be very, very careful because the situation can be made worse by us intervening as well. Exactly, yeah. because I did I did what they told me to do in those days. They told me to put kitty lit- the kitty litter on her from the other cats oh, and dear. bring her in. And the, the two boys loved her. That's why I'm getting a boy, because I'm thinking boy-girls get on better. But uh. the female hated her. And I've just, it's the female that I've just lost. And even though my 15-year-old is lonely for a cat that they both hated each other, it was the other cat in the house. Sure, safety in numbers. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's why I've decided, you know, it's been two months now and it hasn't improved. We think we should get another cat. Yeah, just go very slowly. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for your call. And it's so good um, that Maureen's getting prepared. It's nice that she's calling before oh, she terrific. gets the, the kitten. It's really good. Uh, we're going to go now to Jan in Warners Bay. Uh, Jan, you've got a pooch that loves barking at anyone that comes near the house. Yes. Hello. Hello. We can hear you, Jan. Yeah, hang on. I'm just off the phone. <laughs> Was that it? I've just I've dropped got it. the phone. I've got it. I've got it. Um, yes, I've got a little dog, and unfortunately, um, I've had some illnesses, and I can't walk him. And he gets, and I've got a dog walker, but he won't go away from the car. He's got separation anxiety, 
And does it hurt? Um, a, he barks every time someone comes and he goes back to his bed. Yep. Um, does it hurt if he's been used to being walked? If I don't walk him every day for a while, will it? Will he get depressed and just lay down? Yeah, so it really depends. So the, the not wanting to walk away with the dog walker may be, but actually I feel safer at home. And in those circumstances, yeah. you're absolutely yeah. okay to leave your dog at home. Um, oh, so, okay. So, so dogs are generally hurt. looking for what... Uh, so dogs need a different dog to dog. And if your dog's need is to be with you more than to have the walk, you're far better to have your dog with you than to have the walk. So it would be good, oh, though, in that, search, in that circumstance, though, yep. to often try and encourage some play or some game behaviour with you at home. So it, it could be a chew toy. It could be uh, throwing a ball down a hallway. Just giving some mental stimulus because the other thing that can be an issue for dogs who are at home all day is a boredom issue. And provided that you're finding other avenues than the walk to try and stimulate the brain, it's absolutely fine to not have him walk, Jan. Okay. Have you got any other suggestions that I can stimulate him with? Because he doesn't like chew toys. He doesn't. He's got his bear. Yep. And so, so with with the bear, you could you could put the bear on a bit of string. You could drag the bear behind you. Oh, okay. Yep. So that we're making a bit of a game of the bear. Yep. Um, you could you could sort of um, have the bear and then hide the bear and go. So you yep. know, where's the bear? Where's the bear? Okay. So it's just about turning that mental simulation on, so that we can keep the, his sort of brain ticking over if, if we're not getting that outside exposure. <laughs> How do I know if he's getting depressed? So generally dogs who are going to show depression or, or sort of boredom in this circumstance, they just become very poorly responsive. So they, they, they often will exclude themselves from you. They'll sleep in areas they don't normally sleep in. Um, they might start uh, self-destruction. So they might lick or groom themselves. Um, or they might start destroying areas of your house. They'll chew um, curtain boards or legs of chairs. They're, they're, they're the dogs who are showing abnormalities. And, and if all else fails, buy a, um, a toy meant to be for a toddler, for a dog. Because Gizmo loves the kids' toys. Yeah, forever, they're bright. You know? they're, they're, yes, yeah, they, they often have different textures. Taking yeah. them back to his bed. And, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Pete in Stockton, tell us what's happening with your cat. Well, I've got a, um, a ragdoll cat, and it has a penchant for lizards mm. it keeps bringing lizards into my house yeah now i see a tail wiggling in one corner and the body being chased around the other yeah side so now then it goes outside and then chews the, the lizard now are, are these uh, good or bad are they high protein for the cat yeah so fortunately there's nothing toxic about them so there's nothing there's not going to be an issue with eating the lizards of course our local wildlife would rather be alive and dead but um and certainly there's nothing that's going to be a big issue the water dragons have teeth so if we do take some of the bigger lizards on she might learn twice um but but certainly there's nothing toxic about those lizards um generally what will happen actually is that they'll often chew the lizard for a while then they'll often retch up what's there anyway cats often don't ingest things that they're a bit weird so most cats will often bring up the lizard rather than actually ingest the lizard um and it's the chase that they're after so um you could look at other activities that would encourage that chase so um you can teach a cat to fetch um ribbons on a string or feathers on a string so give other activities that get that sort of hunt behavior redirected um so that the lizards might have a better chance well she has a, has a couple of feathers which she uh, orchestrates about 
five o'clock in the morning up and down the house, so, <laughs> As cats uh, which, do. is, which is not a good look. The uh, blue tongue lizard's got a bluff, actually. Yeah, uh, most of those won't take... Blue tongues are pretty good at defending themselves. The, the very young ones, sadly, sometimes fall prey to cats, but the big guys tend to be able to puff themselves up and look scary enough that the cats will, be, will get the, will get a, a scare, so... Uh, okay. Well, right. thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for your call, Pete. We're going to go now to Paul in Wall's End. Uh, you've got a dog with anxiety. Is that correct, Paul? Yeah, that's correct. Another anxiety uh, uh, call. You've had a couple already today. No, that's okay. What? How does uh, how does yeah, the anxiety get probably, manifested? Yeah, it's probably only just come on more relevant in the last three months or so. He's always been um, uh, scared of storms and wind and stuff like that, but um, now it's a, um, a fascination with has to be inside the house at all times. And, okay. Um, and he's and when he's laying down inside the house, he'll just jump up with no particular sound at all that I can pick up and starts wandering around the house. So when he's never done that before, and I've had him um, over eight years. All right. So certainly anxiety in dogs does grow over time. So you, you can have an anxious dog become more anxious over time. If your dog has previously not been anxious and this is a more recent change in behaviour, other medical diseases can manifest initially as altered behaviour. So in an eight-year-old dog, I would have thought probably if there was anxiety present, it would have been there for some years if it's only been a more recent event, then I would perhaps get your dog checked to make sure there's no other concurrent disease that may be making that more likely. Would, would that be a blood test? or uh, Certainly the initial would be a physical examination, um, looking for other nervous uh, um, diseases or what we call neurological diseases, um, in that the brain that creates our behaviour also is in charge of organising movements. And so um, there can be lesions of the brain or diseases of the brain that can show up as a as a um, nerve disease, not just a behavioural disease. So bloods could certainly be used to check for metabolic diseases. So dogs who develop, say, yep. diabetes or renal disease can have behavioural abnormalities as part of their disease syndrome. So it is always yep. a good idea. If this has been a new change, I, I would suggest having a chat to your local veterinarian about where there may be an underlying cause. If it's an exacerbation of a previous disease that's been there for some time, um, sadly that's about trying to make the safety of the home as um, visible to him as possible. So again, creating him a safe zone like a mat, rewarding calm behaviour and completely ignoring anxious behaviour. So what often happens yeah. is that people yeah. only talk to their dog when they're being nervous. You know, yeah. the, the, the whole sort of comforting when they're scared. You're actually far better to redirect your comfort to when they're doing the right calm behaviours and ignoring the anxiety behaviours in case you're accidentally telling them that to be anxious is the right um, behaviour to manifest at that time. Okay. Would would, the, would an acute pain like arthritis arthritis have yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Any 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 metabolic or any pain related disease can certainly affect behaviour. That's why I think in this circumstance, if a change is fairly recent, I would suggest there may be an underlying cause. Yeah. Okay, mate. Thank you very much. No Thank problems. you so Have a much Christmas. for your call, Paul. And uh, we're going to go to our lucky last call today. Thank you for waiting so patiently, Dave in Budgie. Where you've got an injured magpie that you're looking after. 
yeah, well, we, we found him on the side of the road. We didn't run over by a car, but he didn't have any wing damage or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And we've raised him in our small bathroom, mm-hmm. and we've fed him live worms, and we sort of scatter them in some dirt and, and stuff, and he digs through them and gets them. But he's really bonded to my missus, and he sort yeah. of, like, like, you know, he makes all the noises of the other baby magpies we see in the street. Mm-hmm. And... But he's got a bit of anxiety to that room. He doesn't sort of want to come out of the room anymore. Yeah. And, and, and we're worried that he's not developing his flight feathers. And yeah. we don't know if we're ever going to be able to release. Yeah, this is a, a problem for lots of injured um, chicks, sadly, in that, disappointingly, because they haven't received the standard um, sort of behavioural cues from the adults about how to interact with them, with other uh, of the flock and other areas of the environment, is they may not learn those. So lots of birds who are, uh, are fed as chicks often can't be released. So, um, right. yeah, so you, you may need an aviary um, for this bird. Okay. So, it may be a um, stayer. It may be a stayer, yeah. yeah. So and, certainly and um, what we normally suggest, if you do ever find one of these chicks... Um, Speaking to the Native Animal Trust or wires are a really good way to try and do that in that it is a legal requirement that Native animals are looked after by someone who is a licensed Native Animal Carer. I know lots of people try and do the right thing in these circumstances, but sadly what happens is that often these these hand-reared birds can never be released again um, and it creates its own issue for these birds. So always I advise any, any of the listeners out there, if you do have an injured bird, take them to a veterinarian, have them then examined, and then a carer will be found so that the correct sort of socialisation is often available in those carers' households because they have other birds around them that they can learn these sort of bird skills from. Right, right. We, we do have a garage, a very high-ceiling garage. It's like a double-height one. And I was thinking about building him a little roost up there so he could come and go. Um, do you think that would work or you, not? You, I, I certainly would think maybe your first bet would be to, to try and look for an outdoor aviary or a chicken shed where you can leave the yeah. door open and see yeah. if the bird wishes to leave. Um, be always conscious that currawongs and other birds of prey might try and enter that, but um, I think this situation could be a little bit problematic for you because I'm not sure the magpie will have learnt the right social cues. Thank you so much for your call, Dave, and uh, good luck with that. That is just about it for us today. Cheryl Shaw, thank you for another fabulous year. You will be here uh, next week, but I won't be. Slacker. <laughs> oh, Sarah. Well, have a lovely Christmas. Yes. Yeah, you too, Dr Paul McCarthy. It's been so much fun. Uh, of course, we will be back next year, but Look you both will be back next week, the real troopers. We're here. Along with Mark Children, Rourke. bitter end. Yes. <laughs> you will have Mark and he's extremely excited because he's going to play Barking Dogs to Christmas tunes. So, yes. you know, Something stay tuned for that. To. Something to look forward to for all of Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.